we've been dealing with unprecedented living. And so uh, last week we dealt with what it is to live in life more abundant. And uh, I've said that life more abundant applies to different areas of our lives. And uh, we talked about healing last week. And this week we begin to talk about wealth or money. That's what we're going to talk about this week. And this may be one of maybe two or three such uh, topics on wealth or resources. But we begin here. This is the foundation for it. So uh, we've often talked about us being priest kings. And because we are priest kings, we often talk about reigning and ruling. So here's my question to you. Is there a difference between reigning and ruling? Is there a difference between reigning and ruling or is it just semantics? Priest kings are called to reign and rule. Is there a difference? Since I heard so many... So, sorry? There is probably a difference. You could probably be right. Uh, see... There is a difference, and the difference is reigning is our privilege. Uh, reigning is our privilege, and ruling is our responsibility. Nearly there. Reigning is our privilege, ruling is our responsibility. Rulership is a responsibility. Reigning is uh, locating yourself in the position of a ruler. So if someone asks you to reign, they would not ask you to reign if you did not have the uh, privilege of moving into a location as a ruler. So to reign, one has to be given the privilege of rulership. But rulership in itself is the execution of your responsibilities from that position. There's a difference. So uh, 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 let's assume there's a king who has a son. He will reign after the king has died. But if one were to comment on his rulership, that would be based solely on whether the son executed the responsibilities of his position properly. And in the kingdom of God, it's the same. Because as we go today, we'll see different parables where Jesus invited people to reign and gave them things to do. But then he judged them on the, on the way they ruled from that position he gave them. And accordingly he would compliment them or he would say, you squandered the reign I gave you. Time and time again you see this in the um, um, ways of the kingdom of God. For instance, if you go to Matthew 24, verse 45 to 47, you see a theme like that being developed there. It doesn't put it in the same words as I did. But um, Matthew 24, verses 45 to 47. Matthew 24, 45 to 47. Uh, am I loud enough? Okay. Uh, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge? The put in charge is the reign. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food and at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. It carries two, 
conditions there. One that the master has now appointed a servant to rule from a position. But then the second question is, was this servant faithful in his rulership? And as priest kings, it is insufficient to just reign. Because we've talked so much about priest kings and we can think about we will reign, but rulership is determined by your responsibility over the resources given to you to reign over. Let me say that again. I think it's worth writing down because it's one of the primary principles in stewardship and in the management of resources. Rulership is determined by your responsibility over resources given to given to you to reign over if you notice the title of the um, teaching is um, what is it really ruling over resources in babylon folks like it or not the system that we um, earn wealth and spend wealth in at present is a is a Babylonian system. We're not uh, living in heaven right now. We're surrounded by a Babylonian system and all our trading and mm, uh, everything that happens in terms of money happens within the context of the Babylonian system. But kingdom people know how to manage their resources in the Babylonian system and that's what we're going to talk about today. And for those who don't uh, fully comprehend the Babylonian system, uh, you can ask for a tape and we can give it to you because we did four weeks on Babylon. So rulership is determined by your responsibility over the resources given to you to reign over. And we need to learn how to manage these resources because folks, be it you as a person or be it us as a church, first God gives us a vision and then God gives us his provision. Okay, first he gives you a vision and then God will supply you provision so that we'll be able to carry out the vision. Money has been around for ages. It's the love of money that is evil. But if you look at the parables God has, God has plenty of parables on money. He, he has no problems with money. But we need to understand that first God will give you a vision, be it for you as an individual or be it for us as a house, and then he wants to supply us the provision so that now that we have the vision and we have the provision to execute that vision, we can allow God to help us model how we can be people who know how to rule over the resources he's given us. Questions? Questions? No, that's why I call it resources. If, if it was money, I'd probably call it wealth, perhaps. Resources is more encompassing, so it includes wealth, but it's more than wealth. Yep, it can include people too. Any question? Okay, in which case, let's turn to Matthew 25, because we're going to take the parable of the talents and draw some principles out of it in terms of how we need to uh, rule over resources in a Babylonian system. Matthew 25. Hey, Tino, did you 
Clean this. Yeah, it does feel good. Matthew 25. Uh, let's read from 15 onwards. The parable of the talents, depending on which Bible you're reading. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also with the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and, had, and hid his money, master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went over and hid your talents in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I'd have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken away from him and throw the worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Folks, last week we talked about the mindset of life more abundant and this we'll see how it's a mindset and once we change our mindset, uh, we see things very differently. If when we look at this story, if you notice, each person is trusted by the master with wealth according to what? Yeah. So the first thing we need to understand is God trusts you with wealth according to your ability. Okay? So um, if I'm able to handle a certain amount, he is willing to trust me with that certain amount, which doesn't mean I get stuck there. It means that as I show myself faithful, things begin to expand. So know this for sure, that God knows the ability of every human being on the face of the earth in terms of handling money, especially his children. And so God will give you resources and wealth according to your ability. And what is he talking about when he talks about ability? What is this ability he's talking about? I'd like you to be a little more specific because I'm not able to understand what you mean by handle. True. Anything else you can add to that? If if I if you were to give me some money and you said, Jacob, I'm giving this money to you according to your ability, what do you expect? Use it wisely. So tell me what using it wisely would look like. Okay, <laughs> no more questions. 
Shucks. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> nice save. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, here's the thing. Since asking questions is dangerous in this church. <laughs> Stay out of debt. What else? You have given me some money. Now, you, you, we've established that one, don't spend it uh, ridiculously. Uh, be faithful. Stay out of debt. What else? What else? Give. What else? You're still missing one big element. Multiply. Multiply. Money is not given to us for just keeping folks or just uh, playing safe or just being careful with it and not spending it on hockey. <laughs> Money is given to us so that Gisela, now you'll have... Okay, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> my, my, my money is given to us so that we trade with it, multiply it, trade with it. The word used in the Bible is trade or uh, gain, okay? And the sense of this word is um, an intrinsic, an intrinsic ability, an intrinsic ability to bring into existence what God has mandated or planned with that money. Mandated or planned with that money. Okay? So, when this when this master gave his servants money, he said, go trade with it or go invest it or go gain something with it. Go sow it. So the sense is that God knows your intrinsic ability to take that money he's given you and now begin to create with it or bring into existence with it what he knows you can do with it. Some are business people. God gives them money knowing that they have an ability for Business and God then expects them to multiply that. Some are givers. God gives them money knowing that these guys can give like nobody's business and he can trust them too. So they give like crazy and are usually always uh, um, giving and they have nothing in their pocket. But out of one pocket as it goes into the other pocket, money keeps coming. Some are uh, people who save. And some have that intrinsic ability to save without being stingy or miserly. And they store up wealth that they then begin to give to others. It depends on what God thinks you can do. Some have ideas. Some are creative in ideas. God gives them money and he gives them ideas now to take the money and you practically put that idea into actual work. Money was given to us to do with our intrinsic ability something that would bring into existence what God has mandated. No. Because most of our thinking about money is, I'm earning, I receive, it feeds me, I put some in the bank because there might be rainy days. That's the beginning and the end of money for most of us. You would hope so, but I, I, I would say most Christians do. It's a whole different way of viewing it. God gave these three people money according to their abilities. He was right about their abilities. But two of them proved their ability and one did not. 
two of them doubled their money. Now, can you say one had more ability than the other? Uh, not really, because one doubled five to ten and one doubled two to four. In terms of excellence, maybe one's excellence was better than the others, but both did the same thing. So, but there was one guy who did not. And if you notice, what did God punish him or uh, call him up for? Was it embezzlement? No. Was it moral failure? No. It was because he kept the money safe. Imagine that. A guy gets called up and God says you did wrong, not because he embezzled, not because he took or gave bribes, not because of moral failure, but simply because he decided he would take the money and keep it safe. Odd, eh? The one who, the one who was punished was not punished for moral failure or embezzlement, but for returning the money safely. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but uh, uh, both of them did excellently. It's just that our degrees of excellence may vary. So if you get $10,000 <laughs> to build a house and I get $5,000, we may both build excellently to the degree we can. But your $10,000 house will look better than a $5,000 house. What about the responsibility? Uh, it could be responsibility too, that God knew that this person was responsible with a larger amount and this person at present is not responsible with that amount, but it's good with this amount. But the two can go to five because you see him increasing in his rulership towards the end of the story. But the mismanagement of resources in this case was just keeping it safe. Uh, saving, saving, is, saving would be different. Here he was not keeping it safe for saving. Here, th this is the beauty of it, uh, Valentina. He operated not with the wealth that was given to him, but by the principle of fear that was not given to him. That's what is the problem. Here the problem is not that he saved the money. He was given wealth to operate with. He began to operate with the principle of fear instead. The fear was what would happen to him. Yeah, what would happen to him? What if I lost this money? These things came. You know why he dug and put it in? Because if you kept it in your house and someone robbed it, you were still responsible. But if you dug it and put it in and someone dug it out, according to Jewish law, you didn't have to pay it. He went so far that he dug it and put it so that if it gets lost, he will not be held accountable. Because the law was, if it's in your house and it's taken, you will have to pay. But if you dig it and put it, then someone has to go dig it out, pull it out, take it, you're not responsible. They didn't have banks then. It's the way of talking for us in English. Meaning they didn't have actual banks and Yeah. It's we wouldn't that that's the easiest way we would understand it. Yeah. Yeah. What he was trying to say, what Jesus was trying to say is you should have given it as usury to someone so that they would return it with a little bit of interest added on. That's what he's saying. We will come to that later, but here the point is that here was a man who was given money to wealth to operate with, but he operated by the principle of fear. And I would, I would suggest to you without any um, 
hesitation that most of us have at some point or perhaps still are uh, uh, often operating in fear when it comes to money. It is part of the poverty mentality that we talked about when we talked about Chedo Laumer, the king who met Abraham uh, in Genesis 14. But many of us operate with this idea of fear. It is one thing to be prudent, but prudence comes out of wisdom. There is another thing that we call prudence today, which is uh, something that is spawned out of fear. And it's two different things. And I know when I'm afraid uh, about money, and I know when I'm not afraid about money. And uh, yeah, I, I would uh, personally, yeah, yeah. I, 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 uh, if you were to come to me and ask me, Jacob, what do you think about speculating in the market? I'd suggest not, uh, unless, and that's perhaps partly due to my lack of knowledge about it. Partly because I sometimes think uh, um, one, I, I go to that proverb which says, one who tries to make um, uh, to make money quickly usually ends up with money getting wings and flying away. So uh, it is better to know what you're doing to, like if you want to wa invest with Warren Buffett, that may be a good idea. <laughs> because he does not take risks. He only goes into stocks that are a certain kind. But if, if, if it's speculating, I'd suggest that it's a little like gambling. And I've won tremendously in gambling, and I've lost greater in gambling. Just be uh, aware of that. Um, so, go ahead. In 13 minutes, 27 minutes, and 42 minutes. And then two weeks from now, too. So, fear forces you to bury your talent. Not sow it. Fear forces you to bury your talent and not sow it. And when that happens, you go into that cheddar lamer, that whole handful of sheaves mentality that we talked about two weeks ago. Folks, I know what it is to live like this. I have lived in fear of losing what I have. It would. I, you just have to know. That, uh, there are people who just go take what they don't have, and hope that the markets will climb. I'm saying that kind of risk is dangerous. But if you know what you're doing and you study it and go, and it's not, it's not based on dice, that's different. Uh, but uh, I don't know anything about markets, so if you come and ask me for investment, this thing, you'll have to find, sign a dis disclaimer first. A disclaimer will say if you lose all your investment, you're not to blame, Jacob. If you win 20%, you'll have to give me three. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not sure of losing on that, that I'd go three. <laughs> I have lived in fear of losing what I have. And what happens when you have fear is your fist is tight and you cannot give freely. And unfortunately, your hand is not open to receive either. There's two ways, guys. On one hand, the fear of losing keeps me, um, keeps my fist tight, so now I can't give freely. And the other thing is, because my fist is tight, I can't even receive freely. That's the sad part. And Satan keeps touching money then, because he knows that this is an area that Jacob is afraid of, so keep, keep touching it. 
keep just elbowing him in this area because he'll always live in the fear and his fist will get tighter and tighter till you got rheumatoid financial fists. I mean, th that's how it works, folks, because he keeps touching you in that area because he knows your area of fear. So just remember that. The other thing that this man had, the third servant had, was he had a wrong perception of the master. He had a wrong perception of the master. Instead of seeing God as continuously gracious, continuously kind, continuously giving, continuously blessing, instead of seeing God as a blesser, he says, I knew you were a harsh man who harvests where he has not sown. And he had a completely wrong perception of God. And because of the wrong perception of God, his attitude with money was warped. And I'd suggest to you again that sometimes we have a warped, percep warped perception of God when it comes to money. We somehow think that in that area he is not as... Um, as as uh, generous as other areas. He will be generous in healing, he'll be generous in uh, worship and all this stuff. But when it comes to money, <coughs> he doesn't seem to have the same generosity. And my warped thinking of God then begins to affect my receiving resources, my spending resources, and my whole attitude of either being a prosperity adherent or a poverty adher adherent. Both are perversions of the Godhead. So this man had a wrong concept of God. And so he could, all the more reason why he had to bury his talent, because he was living with a completely distorted image of God. He saw him as hard, miserly, unwilling, partial, unjust. Now we may not say God is miserly, but we sometimes think of him as unwilling or partial or unjust. Unwilling, partial or unjust. That we often think of when money doesn't come through. That is sometimes a way we think of him. Folks, it's vital to correct our mindset because wealth was taken away from one and was transferred to the other. When our mindset changes as we approach money, we'll see that we can end up ruling over more or we can not end up having even what we actually had. It says there, take away from him who had and give it to the one who had an abundance, give it to him. The one who had a little will now have nothing. Why? Because there is a mindset that is wrong there. When money is driven by fear, when money is driven by a distorted image of God, then what happens is what you have is also taken away and it goes into someone else's hand. Questions? <coughs> yeah, because, because it's a resource that's given. Go ahead, Lauria. The guy who had five doubled it, right? So he gave it to him. Yeah. Maybe according to his ability again. But the, the, yeah, to him who has more has been given because he's been found trustworthy with it. So now he knows he can handle some more. <laughs> Good husband there. Lorian's <laughs> thinking, what's he saying? <laughs> Okay, the next bit we deal with is kingdom perspective on work in the Babylonian system.
kingdom perspective on work in the Babylonian system. Like I said, we work in a Babylonian system. We need to understand first that sometimes the opposite of God is not the devil. The opposite of God is mammon. Okay? The Bible says, uh, do not serve God and mammon. So sometimes the opposite of God is not the devil. The opposite of God is mammon. And mammon is basically need and greed that is satisfied at the altar of money. Need and greed that is satisfied at the altar of money. That's kind of not the definition, but the concept behind mammon. A system of need and greed that captures the heart and is satisfied at the altar of money. Matthew 6.24, if you want to turn to Matthew 6.24. Money. Matthew 6.24. No one can choose, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So... Understand that, that sometimes the devil is not the enemy. Sometimes the enemy of God is mammon or money. Yeah, it's the root of all evil. Understand that we live in a Babylonian system, but can thrive in it without becoming part of it. We live in a Babylonian system, we work in it, but we can thrive in it without becoming a part of it. I mean, if you check Genesis 26 verse 12, you can do that later. Isaac went into Philistine territory, in a time of famine and sowed and he reaped a hundredfold. <laughs> Isaac went into Philistine territory during a famine into a hostile territory. He sowed and he reaped a hundredfold. <laughs> Genesis 26.12 So it's possible to live in a hostile place called Babylon and thrive without becoming part of it. It is possible. <coughs> of this world. The Babylonian, and he, folks, here's the rub, okay? The Babylonian system works on the premise of buying and selling. That's what it works on. The Babylonian system works on the premise of buying and selling. If you want to go to Ezekiel 28, verse 5, you'll see that there. That right off the bat, the one who runs the Babylonian system had this as one of his major qualifications. Ezekiel 28, verse 5. Ezekiel 28 verse 5 says uh, this is a prophecy against the king of Tyre or against Lucifer and it says that you by your great uh, by your wisdom and understanding you've gained wealth for yourself and amassed gold and silver in your treasuries by your great skill in trading you have increased your wealth and because of your wealth your heart has grown proud Satan runs the Babylonian system he knows how, what it is to indulge in trade Buying and selling is the premise on which Babylon operates. And I'll tell you why we need to talk about it, because then we'll talk about how the kingdom works. Uh, if you go to Revelation 13, verse 12, you'll see that towards the end of the days, the story is the same. Revelation 13, verse 12. Ezekiel 28, 5 talks about the beginning. Revelation 13, uh, 16, sorry, not 12. Revelation 13, 16 talks about the end. Revelation 13, 16. <coughs> He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead, so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of the name. So th the same thing continues. Buying and selling has been a premise of Babylon through which it controls peoples, nations, corporations, everything is controlled by this one premise. 
Revelation 13, 16 talks about it. And we'll talk about the forehead and the um, right hand when we do the book of Revelation chapter 13. Come and listen, because it may not be what you think it is. Uh, <coughs> the other thing Babylon does it does is it demands work. It instills a fear of losing work. And it elevates the curse of Genesis 3 that you shall eat by the toil, by the sweat, eat by the sweat of your brow. So that's another thing Babylon does. Babylon demands work, meaning have you noticed how work is demanded of you? Very often, it's not even a voluntary offering. I mean, here in church, work is not demanded of you, but I've seen how wonderfully you work. But work is demanded of you by a system. It's not a person. It's a whole system that has been growing on the earth for thousands and thousands of years. It demands work of you. It instills a fear of losing work. What is the thing that panics us most? Losing work. Losing a job. And it elevates to a status that it should not be elevated to, that you shall earn bread or eat by the toil of your, by the sweat of your brow. That is elevated. The curse is elevated. I've got to work. I've got to go. No, no, this is not enough. I have to work more. I have to work more. It's a constant by the sweat of your brow. The thing is, it's so pervasive and all-pervading, if I may use that word, that we haven't even realized that it's happening. We think it's the natural system of life. This is life. But it's not really life, folks. It's a com- yeah, I'll talk about that, but it's a complete distinction that God makes about work as with Babylon. Babylon demands work. God does not demand work. God places value on work. Let's go straight there. God places value on work. He esteems work. But it is never demanded as a slave driver demands, nor is it ever at the threat of the fear of work. God never put that in. He didn't put it in Eden when God gave him stewardship over the garden. He didn't uh, appreciate it in Egypt when they had to work to produce a quota of bricks. So God places value on work. Like Ezra is saying in First Thessalonians uh, or Second Thessalonians it says, he who is idle should be told to work otherwise he shall not eat. So it's not that he despises work. But work was supposed to be something that Adam was supposed to enjoy in the garden and that's what God still wants to bring back. But these are the things that Babylon elevates. So what is the principle in the kingdom? The kingdom principle is Deuteronomy 8.18. One of the kingdom principles is Deuteronomy 8.18. Folks, if we begin to actually uh, first wrap our minds around this, no, it will begin to change uh, our way of living in a Babylonian system even at the age you are. Meaning that you are only 30 or 35. That's what I meant. Deuteronomy 8.18. Deuteronomy 8.18. Very simple. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce 
or gain wealth. That is one of the foundational principles of the kingdom in terms of work. The kingdom perspective on work is I can work my fingers to the bone, which in my case may take long. But the point is that at the end of the day, God gives me the ability to gain wealth. That's where, not by the sweat of my brow, not by any other things, simply by God giving me the ability to gain wealth. Once this begins to settle in, it begins to change our thinking that this is life. This was not supposed to be life. And then here's the second principle that will rock your boat, because it did mine. The kingdom works on the premise. Uh, this is this is just ridiculous. But God does such ridiculous things. This is the principle of Babylon, buying and selling. And now look at the kingdom principle. Giving and receiving. I'm telling you guys, it's a completely opposite thing. And we, here we will struggle to prosper. Here we will uh, struggle not to. But we've been crafted by the Babylonian system for so long that the change has to happen here first. This is not about a token giving of a tithe in the church for one month that will change things. Or it's not picking up the phone when you see that TV evangelist asking for a donation that's a multiple of seven. The, 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 that's, that's not what makes this happen. It's a mindset that I have to change. It's a lifestyle which becomes my breathing way of living. That one, God gives me the ability to gain wealth. Two, I do not work by Babylon system which is buying and selling, which is elevating the curse and saying, by the sweat of my brow, I operate by a different system which says God gives me the ability to gain wealth and I amass resources by giving it away and receiving it. God so loved the world that he sold his only son. No! God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's an old, old principle. Just as Ezekiel 28.5 says, Lucifer knew how to buy and sell right from the beginning to amass wealth. God forever has been saying, I know how to amass wealth. I've always been giving and I'm receiving. He bruised Jesus and gave him up as a sacrifice and now has seen a huge return in terms of us. Isaiah 53. Yeah, it says so. And he has seen the travail of his soul and he has seen how much he has gotten back through that one giving. Folks, this is a... This is a <laughs> Yeah, I agree, I agree. They, uh, I'm not taking away from what Gisela is saying, but I'm saying this is a mind shift. It is not about Christian generosity of giving. I'm talking about a completely different way of living in a, in a system that is hostile to you and your God. Yeah, no, no, I'm not disagreeing with you, Gisela. I'm just saying, uh, take the principles she's saying about giving and apply it to changing our very mindset. Because we're not talking about... Right now, I'm not interested in us giving to the church, which is part of it. But that's not what the focus is. The focus is on mindset. And then we'll talk about giving to different situations and churches and stuff like that. Uh, what has happened to Christians is that they... See, if you want to prosper in the Babylonian, Babylonian system, 
You've got only two choices, folks. Either live corruptly or live, uh, position yourself in the principles of giving and receiving and Deuteronomy 8.18. Those are your choices. If you want to prosper in Babylon, and Joseph prospered, Daniel prospered, people prospered. Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego prospered. If you want to prosper in Babylon, live corruptly, all live by these principles, and you'll see amazing things happen. Go ahead. No, I'm not talking about doing well, folks. I'm talking about rulership over the resources of God. This is not about me doing well. When I talk about amassing wealth, I'm not talking about my bank account. I'm talking about living a different way in a system that operates by buying, selling, buying, selling. When God says, let me show you a different way that will help you live, uh, a completely different lifestyle. Where they will, uh, it's a giving and receiving is completely contrary to the world, the way the world lives. I'm not saying that people who do not live corruptly will not do well. No. But let me tell you this. When you're dealing with millions of dollars, I, I'm yet to come, and I've met a few, not too many, I'm yet to come across millionaires who have been able to stay completely clean in terms of God and them. There always has to be some give and take with Babylon to make millions. It is it is a very sad fact. Yeah, I have met millionaire Christians, man. I I I can show you my phone right now with text messages from some millionaire Christians who are, are texting me saying, "I have to bribe this man, otherwise I won't have the money re- released." I have it. I'm not kidding you. And these are men who are trying very hard to live clean. Who want to collect the PST, who want to collect the GST, who don't want to give anything under, but who sometimes will have stuff stuck in the port and cannot trust God to release it from the port and therefore have to go give someone something to make it happen. Or a lawyer who won't clear papers and has the papers stuck because he asked for a larger commission. So, going back to what Diana was saying, it is possible, folks. I'm not saying it's not possible, but I'm saying the usually what happens is Christians end up um, Christians end up either siding a little with the world or um, living by the principles. And I'm saying living by the principles is a much easier option. Now, Diana, what you're saying holds good. There are many who are doing well without being corrupt. Uh, but I'm talking about uh, a degree of, uh, let's go to amassing wealth where that kind of amassing wealth does not happen except through corruption, unfortunately. Because Babylon will not release money till you play their way, or you have to play by the rules of a kingdom that is completely different. Twelve minutes. We'll come to that. Uh, do you want to add to that, or do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, f- the problem is, uh, what is? Sure, go ahead. Uh, 
Are you asking me whether you can look at it that way? Yeah. Uh, uh, then my response is no, you can't. Because it would be a bribe, really. I've been in situations like that where I was in a train in India and I had my ticket and everything, but I didn't know that if you wanted to sit there, you got to pay him extra 15 bucks. And thinking of standing for the next 12 hours, I took out 15 bucks and gave him, and I was paying him a bribe and I knew it. I justified it, but I did pay it to him. Yes. Yeah, I, I somehow find it that I'm still indulging in something. Oh, you're getting a receipt for it? Oh, I didn't know you said you got a receipt for it. Yeah, bribe is underhand. If it is legal, it's different. But if it's illegal and I'm doing it, then the Bible very clearly says, sorry, Jacob, you know what you're doing. Unfortunately, the Bible, not unfortunately, <laughs> the Bible says that he who asks for a bribe and he who gives a bribe, both are as guilty as the other. Yeah. I would say each situation would have to be judged, but I would say many times we justify it, but often I know what I'm doing. <laughs> as far as I know, if I'm the waiter, your tip is not a bribe. You're just paying me for my services. <laughs> Sorry? So I said bribe is not always money? Yeah, bribe is not always money. So just be aware of it. Hey, they bribe pastors, man. Do you know how they bribe pastors? They give you uh, some extra cash so that you'll come and do an extra blessing or an extra prayer or you will overlook the fact that people are getting drunk at your son's wedding. Just give him, uh, Pastor, we want to give you a love offering. Here. So now you get the love offering and um, people are getting drunk at the son's wedding and, oh, but that's okay. Father, forgive them for they have just given me $10,000. So that's, that's the way you bribe pastors. So there are lots of ways, man. We, it just goes by, rose by any other name is what? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, what has happened is to us Christians is we know enough not to live corruptly, but we don't know enough to position ourselves in these principles. So, uh, see, yeah, but it will have to be clarified because he was not saying that if you grow rich, you can't enter the kingdom of God. And then my question would be, uh, where does the um, line come in terms of rich? by the standards of every 80% of India, you are filthy rich. You, so where is the line? Yeah, no, no. What I meant. Yeah, most of us are. So, or if you take Italian liras. So we wouldn't know where to put the line in terms of rich. So we'll come back to that. Um, yeah. What has happened to Christians is that they know enough not to live corruptly, but don't know enough to position themselves in principles of favor. We therefore end up working 20 years in two jobs with 10 wage cuts for Uncle Laban. Okay? Uh, how many years did Jacob work for Laban? 
You think 14, right? He worked 7 for Rachel, 7 for Leah. And then he spent another 6 years. He worked 20 years. He worked 20 years at two jobs for um, uh, Uncle Laban and had his wages cut 10 times. Genesis 31, verse 41, you'll see that. And many of us will end up doing that, folks. Unless we operate by these other principles. Hey, I just want to apologize if I came out rudely to you, Gizline, saying that filthy rich, I didn't mean it in a rude way, so I apologize. Sorry? We know enough to not live corruptly, but we don't know enough to live by these principles. So we are caught in the middle. Giving and receiving requires the grace to part with money, folks. <laughs> which renews, which requires a renewing of my secular mindset. Giving and receiving requires a grace. God is not our natural human nature to give and receive. And if you notice, I've said give and receive. Some of us are excellent at giving, but not good at receiving. So we got to think of that too. Th- this is human nature not to do it. Giving and receiving requires grace to part with money. Giving and receiving requires grace to part with money. Okay, so let's turn the page over. Go ahead. Uh, if I would say that every time I've received money, I know when there's a, a catch attached and when there is not. I always know. Yeah, you will know it. You will. Whenever you receive money, you know what the Lord is saying. That son, this is not good seed. There are times when I don't take money because I know it's not good seed. That the crop demanded of you later will be wrong. Um true, that's there too, but I would rather not if the intent is wrong so just be aware of that so if you turn to the next page principles for generating wealth one of the principles for generating wealth is wealth distribution which is basically giving so uh, let's talk about I don't know if we'll finish this today, if not I'll come back and finish it, but let's just talk about wealth distribution, then we can talk about wealth uh, creation and wealth transfer another time if we don't finish it Wealth distribution. Wealth distribution is a trait of apostolic people, folks. Let's go back and remember what apostolic is. What's apostolic? Send people to do what? Yeah, we are sent to represent the accurate character of Christ. And giving is a very um, natural trait of uh, ascent people. If you go to Acts 4.23, you'll see that the church would bring uh, things so that it could be distributed among the people. I mean, one of the things I liked about the email that was sent out last week with regard to Anne's uh, stuff that was being um, uh, sold at the garage sale was this little note at the bottom which said, if anyone from Acts 29 wants it, feel free to come and take it. Not buy it, feel free to come and take it. I got it. Maybe there's something wrong with the Telus account. No, others got it. James got it. 
<laughs> quite a few didn't get it. Okay, well, there was, uh, because she was moving, there was a lot of stuff that was put on a garage sale, and there was a note on the email saying, uh, for those from Acts 29, if you want it, just come and take it. Uh, 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 wh why do wh I put that down in my notes? Because uh, apostolic houses are like that, or a house that is sent to accurately represent Christ, which is what it means to be apostolic, are like that. It, it should be natural between us to give and receive folks, both to give and receive. Go ahead. Thirty-two inch. Right on. And this is the way it should be. Never never feel uh, hesitant to come here if you have something to give and tell the church that I want to give it away. And if you have a need for it, never feel hesitant to stand up in the middle of the congregation and say, I want it. Because uh, sometimes there's a difficulty in receiving folks. I may not want to say it in front. So just as Anne is getting into uh, the van, I'll run to her and tell her. Feel free to let it be known because sometimes my difficulty in receiving is not because of anything else but sheer pride. Sheer pride. Just be aware of that. Do not hesitate to distribute, glean, give and receive. It creates room. It creates room. Do not hesitate to give, glean. Do you know what gleaning is? In the Old Testament they used to have these trees in their farm and the trees after it was harvested, after all the apples were plucked, the trees will still bear apples after that. And so God told the Israelites, guys, when the tree, you've harvested it and there's some apples left, don't go try to get every apple from the tree. Leave those apples for people who come walking by and they see an apple and they want to take it. Anything. Yeah. Ruth went around gleaning. Yeah. Leave it. Yeah, leave it for the birds. I mean, that's the principle of gleaning. I'm telling you, there have been times when I practice gleaning and there has never been a time when I have not received something uh, new for what I've gleaned. Gleaning is giving away your old china. Gleaning is giving away your brand new china. Gleaning is giving away that which you're not using that has been there since your father's 30th birthday. Time to give it away. Because as you give it away, it creates more room. Shirts that you were given uh, in Indonesia that would um, perhaps brand you as something else if you wore it here. <laughs> oh, things should not go on tape like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we have gleaned toys to each other. I gave him one toy last week. The week before that, he gave me another toy. 
electronic toys, toys that someone gave him he's not using. Go ahead. Yeah, but I'm the one who's giving it away. I'm not going harvesting everything. Yeah, so you wouldn't know the shirts in my cupboard unless I brought them out in display because I would not allow you in. So, <laughs> so cleaning, is, cleaning is giving away. Do that because you'll create room. Giving always creates room, folks. Always creates room. The opposing spirit is the spirit of Jezebel. Jezebel is the one who wants to keep the keys of Ahab in her pocket so that the royal resources that are Ahab's will never be given away. That's the spirit of Jezebel. That's one of the functions of the spirit of Jezebel. Go against it. Because our kingdom works by this amazing, amazing, ridiculous, illogical, upside-down principle. Give, receive. So, reap. So generously, reap generously. So sparingly, reap sparingly. It's a, it's a, I'm telling you, it's a foolproof way of living. You will always win. Here's, I mean, the reason we don't take up an offering here is not because I'm scared of taking up an offering, just because we want you to hilariously give without obligation or compulsion. And praise God, you are. I pray God that next time you go there, we put a tape, little tape recorder there, put it on so that when you go, you should go, ha, 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 and throw your money in. <laughs> there you go. Give joyfully. Joyful giver, cheerful giver. Hilariously give. Because uh, I sometimes think we should uh, occasionally do an offering just so we uh, remember what it was like. But the point is so that there's no compulsion or obligation or necessity. But give joyfully. When you go there to drop your envelope, do it joyfully. Know that there's no little plate or ashtray going around. But I uh, suggest four ways of giving. And um, uh, these are four ways that... um, I do practice, and I'm seeing, I've seen tremendous um, benefits from it. Uh, one, uh, when it comes to giving, give to the needs of the house. So the first one is give to the needs of the house. Because one of the things when you teach something like this is usually the ones who um, teach this are the ones who probably don't do it. Because somehow when pastors teach this, they think they have a free ride for two months not giving, because I did teach it, at least they will give. No, (laughs) I'd like to say to you that I practice these. (laughs) Give to the needs of the house. Give to the sowing of the word. Give to Melchizedek's, and I'll explain what that means. I think we'll have to stop with uh, just the first part. We'll do wealth creation and wealth transfer another time. And give to help. These are four, give to help. These are four different ways of giving. These are four different ways of giving. Hey, Ryan, can I ask you to just do a hot water thingy, please? Uh, These are four different ways of giving. The first one is give to the house. Why house? Because uh, if I were to quote Proverbs 5.26, 
to suit my purpose in a sense of speaking. This is the wife of my youth. This house is the wife of my youth. Why should I go distribute the springs and the fountains of my life elsewhere first? Proverbs 5.26 is talking about it in a different sense. But it says, um, drink from the cisterns of your own house. Be faithful to the wife of your youth. This is the wife of my youth. This body is that which I'm connected to. So rather than give my resources first somewhere else, I would rather give my resources first here. I'm not saying it should only be here. But I'm saying this should be something that I first give to. Fed. Uh, actually, that scripture is not right uh, when it says uh, bring your st- uh, food into the storehouse. Uh, uh, the storehouse was never where you got fed. The storehouse was a place they would take grain so that the immigrants, the poor, and the Levites would be fed. It was never for your feeding. So in a sense, that scripture is wonky, uh, wonkily in- interpreted. Yeah, it's wonkily interpreted. It was never meant to be a place where you get fed. It was supposed to be a place where you bring so that others get fed. So we'll deal with that another time. But when you read, um, uh, yeah, give to help, we'll come. Food in my house. Yeah, in my house to give to the poor, the immigrant, and the others. Not necessarily the place where you are fed. But that's a whole different uh, teaching on tithing, which we did ages ago, but we might have to visit again. Uh, So give to the house that you are a part of. Because God uses me to supply his promotion. Sorry, God God uses me to supply his provision to provide, promote his vision for his house. God uses me to supply his provision for his vision for his house. So one of the places you give is you give to the needs of the house. I mean, a lot of the money that is given here goes for rent and for the salary that is not salary, for what is paid to me, because I'm not really salaried, what is paid to me. But you know one thing, let me just put this simply, uh, and I know Heidi is here, so um, she, she, if I'm not telling the truth, she can just raise her hand slightly. Because, because the money is given here will come to me, I, I don't necessarily give the monies as uh, something that is receipted to my advantage. I give the monies to what we have called the benevolent fund, so that if there is a need in the church, the church can be help. Otherwise, in a sense, I'm paying my own. (laughs) I'm paying my own self and that is, I'm not saying it's wrong, but there are better ways. If there is a better way of doing things, do it the better way. Because you have to do whatever it takes to give like crazy because your God is extravagant. So that's one of the things uh, I just wanted to throw in there just to show you that there is a way we can operate by giving and receiving that is mind-blowing. Any questions with regard to giving to the house? God uses you to supply his provision to promote his vision for his house. That's what he's doing. God uses you to provide for his vision in his house. That's what he's doing when you give money. Yeah. Thanks, man. Mm-hmm. The second reason I give 
uh, is uh, the second reason we give. We give to the sowing of the word. Folks, this is where um, uh, you may not be able to go across, but then you go and sow in places where the word will go across. Because the word has to go free, folks. You know the reason we don't charge for CDs? There are far richer churches than us that charge for CDs and stuff like that. We can't charge for stuff that... I mean, Jesus said, do the sons pay tax? No. We can't charge the sons of the house uh, um, money for listening to the word of God. The word of God, as far as possible, has to keep going free. You think anyone in this church who has gone on trips was paid by the church? (laughs) You should ask Anne whether we gave her a cent out of this church. Or Heidi. Or Sue. Or Elmer. Or myself. That has to be done free. That's that's your giving. Give, and I guarantee you it will come back. Guarantee you it will come back. And you don't have to be a pastor for that. God is no respecter of pastors, folks. He just gives, man. Because faith was not the realm of full-time or part-time workers of God. Because there's nothing like that. All of us are priests, folks. And he's got to provide. For kingdom purpose, kingdom king provides. It may not come in a day, but it'll come. I mean, let me give you a ridiculous example. I, you know how much I spent on air travel last year? $18,000. I just did my taxes. $18,000 for air travel. You know how long it took me to get it back? One and a half days. Out of the blue, someone came and said, I would like to give you 20000 Doesn't come to this church. None of you know him. Or maybe, yeah. The point is, God does it ridiculously. So never hesitate to give to the sowing of the word. And folks, we have four methods here. We usually decide that if we have a pizza called our monies, that this slice is what I will give away. Now, if we have four methods, the slice gets smaller. No, 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 no. The slice should get bigger. Because as you make the slice bigger, the pizza gets getting bigger too. What we do is we now decide, i got to take 10% and divide it by four. If you're like me in math, it'll take you a little while, but you end up getting 2.5% each to all these four. No, no, no. Why not try and say, Father, here are four things that I would like to begin giving to as you show me. And as you show me, I want to give as much as you tell me to. Because it is not 10% that belongs to God. All your money belongs to Him. (laughs) All your money belongs to Him. It's not just 10%. Ask Him. Like I said, this is the most beautiful way to part with money. It it is so helpful when you think like this. Father, it's your money. What do you want to do with it? (laughs) I'm telling you, man, it takes a burden off your shoulders. Because suddenly you're not saying, Father, it's my money. How much of it do you want me to give away? Father, it's your money. How much do you want to give away? Because now when he tells you a figure, be it small or big, you may react in shock or um, delight. But (laughs) the point is, you'll give it away because it's not yours to begin with. I loved giving my dad money away when he used to give me money. He could never understand. Any church would ask for money. I'd write out checks. Why? Because it wasn't coming out of my wallet. It was my dad's money. (laughs) And then I'd say, I said, I need some more money. What happened to the last amount? I said, oh, a church needed. And he looked at me like, what's wrong with you? I mean, when you start earning, you'll know what it feels like. 
But it felt good to write away checks the, of my dad's money away. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I, I often think this man will prosper because of what the Lord did at that coffee shop. Remember when we took up an offering and the Lord said, give it to him? And it was just a token to show you that all throughout your life, you will be provided for well by God. You're the only one to receive an offering in this church. You know that? And it was not because your parents didn't have money. They had enough money. Crazy what God did that day. Yeah. And we didn't even know why we were collecting it. All we knew was God saying, take up an offering. We've taken up an offering and now we don't know what to do with it. And the Lord says, give it to Ryan. Folks, why Melchizedek? Who are Melchizedek? Melchizedek are those who um, bring you bread and wine. And uh, sometimes when you have extra money, give it to the Melchizedek in your life. For instance, uh, when I got some extra money uh, recently, I uh, took a chunk of it and sent it to Eddie. Now, Eddie isn't part of this church, but he's a Melchizedek in my life where he has brought me bread and wine and I have benefited from it. So I took that money and sent it to Eddie. And then there's another guy I met in Switzerland on this last trip called Segi, whose teachings I have benefited from and you have benefited as a result of that. I've gained tremendously from his teachings and from his tapes. And a lot of what I have taught over the last seven or eight weeks came from what he input into my life. He brought me bread and wine. So after sending Eddie, I sent that man a part of what I wanted to. Both are in South Africa. I don't even know whether he knows it. I don't know whether he'll even know where it came from, but that doesn't matter. I'm giving to Melchizedek because they gave me bread and wine for my life. And what is the benefit? Suddenly you're not just honoring the gift, you're honoring the giver of the gift. And that's how you keep your bread and wine uh, vibrant instead of it turning into mold and vinegar. Because sometimes bread and wine can turn stale when when we only aspire after the gift and do not recognize the grace that is in the person who is giving the gift. Pardon? Uh, Someone who you are receiving bread and wine from. That will... Spiritually. And, and you don't have to do this on a regular basis. Do it when you sense the Lord saying it and when you have some extra cash to spare. Because if you realize, uh, what did Abraham give uh, Melchizedek? He gave him out of the spoils of war. Or he gave him out of his victory. So whenever you suddenly have an influx or a, a sudden extra surge because of something that God has given, give it to Melchizedek. It will benefit you folks. I know that I will benefit. And that's why I said I practice this. Therefore, I'm okay about talking about it too. Or he can use that to buy the guy good food and a brand new TV and a Wii. And some hockey cards. Oh, don't. See, Gisela, she's talking about hockey cards again. No, she's bringing it up again. So, 
because they have sowed in my life, because you are benefiting because of what I have benefited from this guy called Segi, very humble man. Uh, many other things, Aaron's um, um, break, Aaron's rod. This is the same guy who was talking about the Lord's Supper when my tailbone got healed. Same guy. So I see him as someone who's given me bread and wine. And so the least I can do is honor the, the thing. This is just another thing. And the last one is give to health. I think this is a principle that we need to identify. Because there are biblical... Uh, uh, see... Uh, there are biblical scriptures and then there are principles we derive, derive out, of the, out of them. Uh, the, the two have to be seen separately. There are tons and tons of scripture and then there are principles you draw out of them. Because I, I, for instance, this has been in the Bible always, right? But I'd suggest to you that this is one of the first times we are hearing about it. So it was not because of the lack of scripture, but because now out of the scriptures, the principle has been drawn. So that's how we need to see it. Yeah, that could perhaps, yeah, I'm not arguing. But uh, these are different ways we can give. And the last one is give to help. Help is I have received in my lack and now I can give because I have more to give. Folks, you have no idea how much lack I was in. I won't even go into it. But you have also no idea of how many people helped me when I was in lack. Just would give me without, without holding back. They would give me. And now that I have, I should be in a position to help someone else's lack. And I've seen it work. When you suddenly respond to God asking you to go give somebody, it's nuts. The timing is just perfect, man. I, I remember a certain situation where the Lord told me to give to somebody who used to give to me when I was in lack. And I go give to the person. And two hours before I went to give the person this large amount of money, the person had received a note from EI saying that his EI was denied. And two hours later, I'm going there. And the amount was about the same as the EI. And it blew his mind. But suddenly that morning the Lord said, remember how he used to give you when you had nothing? You need to go and give him right now. When we do it when he wants, then the timing is perfect. If we do it not in timing, it will still be great. But sometimes an adventure is missed out on. So, go ahead. Uh, sometimes, yes, sometimes, uh, sometimes generosity becomes so natural sometimes for some people that they give even just because that's the nature of God. Sometimes you need to ask. Uh, the, um, I'm almost done, folks, so we won't finish the rest. Pardon? Yeah. Um, I can never say no to that. It depends on... Yeah, then make the, make a judgment call. Uh, uh, my usual way is to ask, if they ask for money... I said, why don't you come, I'll sit with you and let's have some food. So I take, uh, and if they say no, then I don't know what to do. But usually if a person is hungry, they'll respond to wanting food. And so sit with the person and eat. Yeah, I know you do. But I'm saying sometimes you have to make that judgment call. Yeah, that's why emotional giving is not always a smart idea. Uh, a fifth concept that if you want to throw in, you can throw in, is... Um, uh, that um, pay your debts if you're able to. Pay your debts if you're able to. 
to hold back when you have, regardless of whether the person is well off or not, is um, stealing. If you have debts, all these givings may be fine, but if, if you add a fifth one, it's my debts. If I give all this, but I hold back from people that I owe money to, regardless of how well off they are, I need to uh, give to them. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> let me go to a hockey story. Recently, um, about, about 12 years ago, someone gave me row three hockey tickets to the Canucks. Um, yeah, that's right up front. And those tickets cost 120 bucks. And uh, I was so desperate to go see the game. I said, yeah, yeah, I'll take the tickets. And uh, um, uh, about four days ago, the Lord reminded me that I hadn't paid them for 12 years. So now, <laughs> uh, no, they won't. Uh, but they'll be shocked <laughs> to even think that where this money has come from. But um, I have to pay them 120 bucks because four days ago, very clearly the Lord said, um, you owe them 120 for a ticket. You haven't paid them for 12 years. <laughs> no, they didn't give it to me. I just didn't pay them, and they were nice enough not to run after me. Uh, no, I haven't. No, because I didn't know how to break it to them. It would look a little ridiculous, but I have found a way. Um, yeah, because I thought of that too. Uh, kingdom principles of giving and receiving are vital to pro propel you into kingdom provision. It goes against the grain of Babylon. Uh, all this has to be done with free will, without legislation, to the degree you have faith for it. So generously, you'll reap abundantly. And don't divide your pie into smaller pieces. Instead, enlarge the portions. And um, we'll deal with wealth creation and wealth transfer another time. Any questions on these, folks? Folks, please understand, these are not meant to take advantage of you. These are meant to prosper you. But the mentality has to change here first. It's here that it has to change. Any questions? Wealth creation is interesting. Uh, I mean, uh, do you know, for instance, that um, if Tino stays around in this church forever, uh, that we will see him um, um, create some kind of thing uh, that will be used uh, in farms and agricultural areas in South America. Right? That's the word on you. God gives ideas for wealth creation, man. That's something he'll do. Did you know that Pastor Jerry, who was here, that he has, has a patent, a patent that will run out this year on a simple um, 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 piping that is used in toilet uh, pipes all over the world. And that suddenly the Lord gave him the idea and when he first started it, he and his children and four of them would sit and with their hand they would put it together. That's how they started. And then they patented it and he's been getting a patent uh, royalty on it for the last hundreds of years. 